Amen. Uh, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Um, there are um, some things that uh, the Lord's nearly been dealing with me about here of late. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing because uh, the Holy Ghost, um, particularly in the area of healing, um, has been lately, it hadn't always been this way and doesn't always work this way, but here of late the Lord has really been dealing with me about going back and picking up some of the old teachings and stuff that I uh, read even as far back as uh, Bible school and some things like that. And one of these um, sources of information, it's, and the reason that I, I, I guess I should elaborate on that a little bit, I don't know when the last time the Lord ever told me to read something new is. And it amazes me how many Christians are seeking after something new. I don't want anything new. What everybody else considers old that they're trying to get away from and trying to find to replace with something new is what works. And uh, and as such, it's uh, it's very interesting to me how the Lord keeps dealing with me about going back to the old things, the old foundational truths. And so anyway, one of the things that he's, uh, he took me back to was uh, Dr. T.J. McCrossin's book, Bodily Healing and the Atonement. Um, when I was working at, uh, at Rhema, working with Brother Hagen, part of his crusade team, um, he and Dr. Hicks had spoken numerous times, times that I wasn't around, but then a couple of times when I was around about, uh, about a book that was no longer in print, a book that they had both had and had uh, received great blessing from. And it was the book doctor, by Dr. McCrossin, uh, who was a, a Greek scholar, for one of the foremost Greek scholars of his day, that was titled Bodily Healing and the Atonement. They both had had a copy, but somewhere, some way along the, or somehow along the way, they had gotten, uh, let those copies get away from them, and now they were out of print and couldn't get a hold of them. And it was a, a real supernatural type thing that happened that Dr. Hicks was in a restaurant one time, and he heard some people at a nearby table talking about a book called Bodily Healing and the Atonement. So he went over to them and, and uh, inquired if this was Dr. McCrossin's book that they were talking about and found out that it was. And, uh, and it just so happened that they knew, uh, had some kind of acquaintance with the family. So Dr. Hicks talked to Dr. Hagen, Brother Hagen, about it. And uh, they contacted the family, got the rights to the book, and reprinted it. And so it's available now. Thank God it is. Well... This was, a, this was big news back when I was at Rama, because of the way that it worked and everybody recognized the supernatural aspect of it and how it came about and so forth. And, and so we, just, we all just gobbled it up. But it's, uh, it was one of those things that I read once and healing wasn't a big issue for me back then. At my stage of spiritual growth and spiritual development, healing was something that I wanted to know about. But it wasn't something I was studying every day or that type of thing. And so I'll have to say that some of the teaching got away from me. Um, Dr. McCrossin presents things in a, with a little different twist. It's not new information. It's some of the same things that you'll find in other classic books like uh, Christ the Healer from, by F.F. F. Bosworth and others. But, um, but somehow or another, the, the book just, uh, well, I hate to say it got away from me, but it did. And so it was something that several weeks ago the Lord really dealt with me about. And, and uh, so I got it and, and pulled it out. Uh, got it on my iPad. It's available uh, in that form now too. And, and I've just been devouring it. 
it's, uh, it's one of those things that, that now I can't get enough of. And, uh, and Dr. McCrossin brings out that there's, he divides his book in different, a uh, little bit different ways. He doesn't have chapters, he has divisions. And the first division of his book, he brings out six reasons, makes six, six points, identifies six reasons, as he called them, of why you should receive and take Christ as your healer. Uh, I stepped into a little bit of it this morning at the end of the service and really didn't spend enough time on it to do it justice. But, uh, but I've been impressed this afternoon to, to go back and, and deal with the subject a little bit. So I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to talk to you just very briefly. I'm going to cover the first five reasons. But reason number six is, um, is the one that I really want to talk to you about. And it's presented in a way that, um, well, I think I'm safe in saying that I've never heard anybody else present it in the same manner. It's not new information. It's not something new. But it's a different way to look at something you already know. And it's brought some tremendous blessing to me. So I'm going to cover real quickly the, five, the first five reasons that he identifies. And then I'm going to spend a little bit of time this evening on reason number six. So here are the five reasons that uh, Dr. McCrossin the first five reasons that he gives for receiving Jesus as your healer. Number one, because God used to heal the sick as Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord our healer in the Old Testament. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Reason number two, because Christ died on the cross to atone for our sicknesses, just as he died to atone for our sins. Reason number three, you can see this is not new information. We talk about this stuff all the time. Reason number three, because all sickness is a result of Satan's work when he introduced sin into this world and Christ was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Reason number four, because the very same Holy Spirit is in the church today who did all of Christ's miracles and all of Paul's miracles, the very same Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. Since this is true, why should we not expect him still to heal the sick? His point is, since the Holy Spirit was the one that did the miracles, not Jesus, not Paul, and the Holy Spirit is still present in the church today, why would the Holy Ghost not do the same works as he did before? Now, this is a, uh, one thing that Dr. McCrossin um, spends a little bit more time on than, than most others. Um, Brother Bosworth, in his book, Christ the Healer, has a little, a small section on, uh, on some of the same information, but... Um, but Dr. McCrossin brings out from historical documents kind of a, a timeline. He, he, he shows how healing has been in the church from the, from the early days, from the apostles all the way through. And he makes a, a tremendous argument and shows that this is the work of the Holy Ghost in the church, operating in and, in and through the church all along the way. So that was what he identifies as reason number four. Reason number five is because of Christ's last great commission in Mark 16, verses 15 through 18, which you remember he said, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. One of them, the last one is, They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He identifies that that was part of Christ's great commission. Now, these passages of Scripture, these verses of Scripture that end Mark chapter 16 have been debated for maybe forever uh, in the church. There's a lot of people that say, Well, those Scriptures aren't adequately supported by the, by the text and the original text and so forth. Well, there's two things about that. Number one, uh, these verses were found as part of the Dead Sea Scrolls discovery, which identify one of the earliest, related, one of the earliest copies or uh, records of the Gospel of Mark in any form 
And even though it's not a complete copy that was found, it does include these verses that end chapter 16. Well, that's interesting. But then we're relying on some carbon dating and stuff like that to identify what and when and all this kind of stuff. But Dr. McCrossin brings out something that, uh, that was news to me when I wrote it, when I, when I read it 30 years ago. And I've since uh, identified it and checked it out for myself, and he's exactly right. And he said this. He said, Irenaeus, who was an early church father and a historian, one of the, one of the real interesting things about the early church is these guys were writers. And as such, we've got a lot of uh, records of what happened in the early days of the church, first, sec- first and second centuries and so forth. Well, Irenaeus wrote and referred to Mark's gospel and the laying on of hands identified in Mark 16. Now, Irenaeus was a, a disciple of Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of the apostle John. And so this is, John was his spiritual grandfather, if you will. So within 100 to maybe 120 years of when Mark's gospel is, is thought to be written, Irenaeus is referring back to it, which is one of the greatest uh, proofs or evidence of it being accepted, widely accepted in the early days of the church. So that was one of the, that was his fifth reason because of Christ's last great commission in Mark 16 verses 15 through 18, which commanded the church to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Now it comes to the sixth and final reason why why all true Christians today should expect to heal their bodies. And here's the reason, because of his marvelous promises the fulfillment of which depends altogether upon the exercise of our own faith. Now, he's going to bring out some verses of Scripture to prove his point. First one is, Mark, uh, is Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Jesus said, Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And here's his question. Does anything, the phrase, anything that they shall ask include bodily sickness? Well, it would have to, wouldn't it? Then take Christ as your healer. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. Jesus is speaking and said, In all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. And here's his question. Does the phrase, all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, include bodily sickness? Well, yes, of course it would. Then receive Christ as your healer. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 22 through 24. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24 goes on to say, Therefore I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, What things soever you desire... When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Here's his question. Does the phrase, what things soever you desire when you pray, include bodily sickness? Well, it would have to, wouldn't it? Then take Christ as your healer. John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. Jesus is speaking and he said, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. His question is, do the phrases whatsoever you shall ask in my name 
and the phrase, if you shall ask anything in my name, include bodily sickness? Well, they'd have to. Then take Christ as your healer. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. This question, do the words you shall ask what you will include bodily sickness? It would have to. Then take Christ as your healer. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, the Father, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. His question, does whatsoever we ask include bodily sickness? Again, it would have to. Then take Christ as your healer. Then he makes this statement, and this is the one that's really been going, on, going over and over again on the inside of me. He said this. He said, if bodily healing were not in the atonement, and we've clearly proven that it is, we would still have a perfect right to pray for the sick and expect Christ to heal on the authority of the most wonderful promises just quoted. Now stop and think about what that means. The church world argues, did Jesus pay for the price for sickness when he paid the price for sin? I, I really hate to say it this way, but I have to say it to get your attention. Do you realize how... I, I can't say it. i got to figure out a better way to say it. Do you realize that that's not the determining factor for you being healed? I don't want to say that it doesn't matter because thank God it does. But when it comes to you receiving your healing, it's not dependent on Christ paying the price for your sickness on the cross. He did. The Bible's real clear on it. Anybody that's intellectually honest can see it from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But do you realize that that is not the only basis there is to receive healing from? See, Jesus didn't say, for example, in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. He didn't say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you because I paid for sickness on the cross, ask what you will and it will be done for you. Now, the fact that he paid the price on the cross for sin, singular, not just your personal sins, but the, the penalty of sin entering into the earth, which is the origin and the source of sickness and disease. Because he paid the price for sin, we can abide in him and he in us. But he did not say that because he took stripes upon his back, that's the only reason why you could ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Because if that was the case, then the only thing you would be able to ask for is, is healing. But he uses all-inclusive terms. So if bodily healing were not in the atonement, and as, as Dr. McCarlson says, you, he has proven, he proves in this first division so clearly that it is and has to be. But not all the church accepts that. So let's discuss the thing from their point of view. Maybe the majority of the church world, the modern church world, does not believe that Jesus paid the price for sickness. Okay, let's say for the sake of discussion that he didn't. What does that change anything? Didn't Jesus say, still say, in all things that you ask, believing you shall receive? Now, did Jesus mean all things except physical healing? Well, if that's what he meant, he did a, a great disservice to the church by not specifying that. Did Jesus mean, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
you shall ask what you will except for physical healing and it shall be done unto you. If that's what he meant and it's not what he said, then he's done a disservice to the church. Specifically those that are standing against sickness and disease or dealing with sickness and disease. See, the scriptures that we gave you, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. If Jesus was so ignorant, unknowing about the future, that the sick would take the opportunity to include physical healing in those phrases whatsoever you will or whatsoever you shall ask in my name and phrases like that. If Jesus didn't know that that would be what the desire of the sick was like or would be and he made statements that he didn't clarify not to include physical healing, then how is God just? Do you understand where this is going? Now let me refer you back to another couple of scriptures. Let me refer you back to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 is Matthew's account of the the cursing of the fig tree. Matthew 21 is the equivalent of Mark chapter 11. And I want to read these passages to you in their entirety. Now in the morning, this begins in verse 18 of Matthew 21. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth for henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. We know from Mark's account that it was the next morning. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. In verse 22, which we referred to earlier. And all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. Based on what Jesus said, we'll prove it, but I want to make the point before we turn to Mark chapter 11. Based on what Jesus said, whose responsibility, who bears the responsibility for your prayers being answered? Let me read it again. Verse 21 and 22. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer. Verse 21 wasn't talking about prayer. It's talking about doing miraculous things by faith. But verse 22 is talking about prayer. And all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Whose responsibility is it for your prayers being answered? Jesus said it's yours. Jesus said it's yours. Notice Jesus did not say, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing if it's the will of God. Notice he didn't say that. Notice he put no responsibility upon himself for answered prayer. Notice he put no responsibility on God the Father for answered prayer. Jesus places squarely on our shoulders the responsibility for our prayers being answered. 
And that responsibility hinges on one critical element, and that's faith. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Let's look at Mark's account. We usually talk about this story from Mark chapter 11 because it gives us a little bit more detail. But it's the same exact story. Mark chapter 11. We'll start reading in verse... uh, Verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now skip with me over to verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart, that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice verse 23 doesn't talk about prayer. It's talking about believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. Then verse 24 speaks of prayer. Therefore I say unto you, because this is the way faith works, to believe in your heart and say with your mouth, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Same story, a little different angle. Mark gives us than Matthew, gives us a little bit more detail. But again, the question is the same. Upon whom is the responsibility for your prayers being answered? Is it on God? Is it on Jesus? Or is it on you? It's on you. What things soever you desire when you pray, the understood subject is you, you believe that you receive them those things that you desire, and you shall have them. Where's the operation of God in this? God is the responder to faith. Now let me show you another couple of scriptures that bear this out even further. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Here's the story of the woman with issue of blood from Matthew's account. Uh, What are we going to start reading here? How about uh, verse 20? And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him, Jesus, and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall behold. But Jesus turned turned him about when he saw her, and he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that very hour. Now I want you to see the phrase in verse 22. Thy faith has made thee whole. You know what that literally reads in the Greek? The faith of thee has saved thee. The faith of thee has saved thee. 
Keep that in mind. The faith of thee has saved thee. Now look with me over to Luke chapter 7. That was a woman that was saved by her own faith from sickness. Luke chapter 7. Uh, Let's start reading in verse... uh, Well, we're going to have to back up to verse 36, I guess. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in that city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, the Pharisee got upset about it, and you remember the story about how he says, you know, she's a sinner woman, she shouldn't be touching you, and Jesus gives him a parable to help him understand what's going on. Verse verse 44, and he turned to the woman and said to the woman, or said unto Simon, seest thou this woman, I entered into into thine house, when I entered into thine house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, has not, ceased, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto her, unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. This phrase, Thy faith has saved thee, in the original Greek, reads, The faith of thee has saved thee. Exactly the same as in Matthew chapter 9 that we just read. Matthew chapter 9, The faith of thee has saved thee, brought physical healing to the woman with issue of blood. Thy faith has saved thee, or the faith of thee has saved thee in Mark Uh, in Luke chapter 7 brought forgiveness of sins here's the point the same faith that brought forgiveness of sins the same faith that brings forgiveness of sins brought and brings physical healing it's not a different faith it's not a different kind of faith it's not a different operation of faith the faith of thee has saved thee Counts for forgiveness of sins and counts for the healing of the body. Now turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Here's the closing point that Dr. McCrossan puts on this subject in his division, first division. I'm going to start reading verse 14 just because I I don't want to pull a verse out of context. Paul said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height 
and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Just as a side note, being filled with all the fullness of God is being strong in faith and full of love, according to what he said. Now, Paul, who knows something about prayer and is teaching us, or at least attempting to, by the direction of the Holy Ghost, notice what he said about God answering prayer. Verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Oh, Pastor Mike, that's what I want. I want God to do exceeding abundantly above all I ask or think. Is there anybody that doesn't want that? I mean, isn't that kind of a given? That's what makes him God, right? His ability to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Notice how he does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now unto him that is able, thank God he's able, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power, the Holy Ghost power, the dunamis power of God, constantly working is what it originally says in the Greek, constantly working according to the... Uh, well, let me read it again. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Notice it doesn't say according to his will. And you tell me how much of the church world is trying to get their prayers answered, hoping that they tap into the will of God. But that's not the promise that's made. Now, thank God we can know his will. If you pray his word, you're praying his will. But, folks, I hope you realize this. When you take any of those scriptures that we just talked about, like, for example, John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. It's the will of God for you to ask what you will. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done of you, done for you of my Father which is in heaven. It's the will of God for you to get your prayers answered. It's the will of God for your joy to be full by getting that which you will. Yeah, but you can't just pray anything. Well, no, Jesus put the qualifier. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If his words abide in you, you're not going to ask for anything outside of his will. But let me also go further and say this. If his word abides in you, you know that his will is to heal. Because Jesus is the same and Jesus healed the sick. God the Father is the same and God the Father was with Jesus to heal the sick when he was here on the earth. The Holy Ghost is the same and he's the one that did the work of healing while Jesus was here on the earth. So if his word abides in you, you're not going to be asking for something outside of his will. But asking for healing is directly in his will. You know what I think we do? Well, I'm not going to say we. You know what I think the church world does? I think the church world puts everything off on the will of God because they don't have confidence in their own ability to pray. I heard Brother Hagin make a statement when I first got to Bible school. Floored me. Brother Hagin said at uh, at the time, this would have been 1981, uh, maybe 1980, sometime in the 80s, early 80s. He said this. He made this statement. He said, I don't know when the last time I've prayed and hadn't gotten an answer to prayer is. And I immediately thought, man, I do. Last prayer I prayed. 
I heard him talk about always getting answers to prayer, and it just shocked me. And the first thing that it did, it gave me a wrong idea of, of what he had from God. I started thinking, man, he must have something special. Well, he does. He had Jesus. But I'm thinking he's got some supernatural power that not everybody else can have. And Brother Hagin would go on to explain it. And I still didn't get it. I must have heard it 50 times before I ever really got it. Wouldn't it be nice if you got things the first time? Man, we could save a lot of time, a lot of heartache. But Brother Hagin would answer. He would explain it. He would say, I don't know when the last prayer I, I prayed that didn't get an answer was because I always pray God's word. Well, you can't go wrong with that, can you? If you're praying God's word, you know you're praying his will. But you can't get too far without realizing that Jesus said he wanted you to get your prayers answered that your joy might be made full. Turn with me over to John chapter 16. Let me prove this to you. John 16. Notice in verse 23, and in that day, he's talking about the day following his resurrection, talking about the church age. And in that day, you shall ask me nothing. A better translation of that is you shall ask me no more questions. He's talking to the disciples that have depended on Jesus for three years for everything. He says, now, after I go to the cross and after I'm raised from the dead, you won't be asking me questions anymore. Well, what are they going to do? Verily, verily, I say unto you that whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. In other words, you don't have to go through me. You can go directly to the Father in my name. You'll have a relationship with God then because you'll be born again. Notice he says in verse 24, Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. They've been depending on Jesus to do everything they needed. They haven't gone to the Father for anything. Up till now, hitherto, up till now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask that you shall receive and you shall receive that your joy might be full. Now, folks, you've got to misrepresent the Bible to say that God, to take these scriptures and not conclude that God wants you to have your prayers answered. He wants you to have what you want so that your joy is full. Now, he doesn't want you to lose sight of the fact that it's because you're in a relationship with the Father. And certainly Jesus or none of the apostles are, are writing to the church encouraging people to be lustful in their, in their desires and, and pray unscriptural prayers. But even Jesus, knowing that that was going to be the possibility and the probability in some cases, and let me explain that to you from a personal standpoint. The earliest prayers I prayed were real selfish prayers. And God didn't get mad at me for it. And he still answered them. Because he knew my heart was right. I was so far in the, in the hole when I started. Every prayer I prayed was for me, just for my own benefit and so forth. And God honored those. I found the word that said God wanted to do good things for me. And that was news for me. I grew up in church, but man, I'd never heard that before. And so I wanted every good thing that God would do. And most of the things, most of the needs I had at that point were financial. And so I was praying really, really selfish prayers. God answered them. 
God provided for me. And you know what happened? I grew out of praying selfishly. But God understands where you're at. If you're in a position where your needs are not being met, where your needs are first and foremost in front of you, how are you going to be a help to somebody else? The Bible principle is such as I have give I thee. How are you going to help somebody else if you don't have enough to meet your own needs? You sure can't be a giver when you're in the hole. You don't have anything to get out of the hole with, to give or to help somebody else with. God knows where you're starting with, starting from. And even at that, now I know some people, bless their hearts, are going to take this out of context and run off with it, but that's between them and God. It's not my fault. I'm just telling you how good God is. God knows where you're at. And even at that, even knowing the natural tendency to be selfish, Jesus did not put some kind of qualifier on there that kept us in this little small track that this is all you can have from him. He made statements like, whatsoever you shall ask in my name. He made statements like, all things that you ask, believing you shall receive. He makes the road as wide as he can. He says things like, nothing shall be impossible to you. All things are possible to him that believes. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why would he present the plan of God, the will of God in that manner if he didn't want us to ask big and receive big. If that was not his intent, he sure messed up. Didn't he? He did in my opinion. Let me read this again. And in that day, John, 15, John 16, 23, and in that day, talking about our day, church age and in that day you shall ask me nothing verily verily I say unto you whatsoever you shall ask the father in my name he will give it to you hitherto up till now have you asked nothing in my name ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full folks I don't know how it works for you I think it works the same for everybody but I can't be sure about you so I'm going to tell you about me Nothing makes me happier than getting an answer to prayer. Nothing satisfies my heart like receiving something I've been believing for. Nothing draws me closer in fellowship to my father than receiving the end of my faith. Nothing. There is nothing else in the universe that can satisfy your heart like the answer to your, the, the prayer of faith or answer to your faith in operation. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, when God answers my prayer, and I can say with Brother Hagin, I can't remember the last prayer I prayed that didn't get an answer. And that makes me feel good to say it now. And it's not because I've got something that everybody else can't have. It's because I've learned to pray the word. You always get answers that way. Now, when I get answers to prayer, now when I receive the end of my faith, it draws me even closer and closer to my father. I'm not looking for something new to believe for so I can use for myself. I'm looking for I'm looking at how good God is and what he's done for me. It puts me in a better position to be used to help somebody else than I ever was when I was in the hole. Asking you that you may receive that your joy may be full. 
That's the will of God. So let me say it again. Let me read again the, the statement that Dr. McCrossin makes concerning healing. He says, if bodily healing were not in the atonement, and we've clearly proven it is, we still would have a perfect right to pray for the sick and expect Christ to heal on the authority of the wonderful promises just quoted. Jesus made promises to you that you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand. You don't have to know the, the Old Testament Hebrew and what the words literally mean or how the one word is translated grief and it should be sickness and another word translated pain or tra it should be translated pains. You don't have to know any of that. You can simply know that Jesus said that your prayers being answered are a response and the responsibility of you believing in your heart and saying with your mouth, take Christ as your healer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great promises. We thank you, Father, that Jesus said exactly what he meant. He told us that if we would abide in you and if your word abides in us, we could ask what we will and it would be done for us of our Father which is in heaven. Therefore, Father, based on the promises of God, the promises that our prayers can be answered concerning whatsoever we will, we ask you, believing for healing for our bodies. We thank you, Father, that the word of God says that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. But even if we didn't know that, we know based on the promises that Jesus made about prayer, and believing in your goodness to receive him as healer. Father, thank you for being so good. Thank you that you planned it all out. Thank you that Jesus did pay the price for sin, sickness, poverty, and every other consequence of sin. We thank you that he took upon himself stripes and with his stripes we are healed. Father, we thank you that you're so good. It's not your will for any of your children to suffer. So, Father, we receive Jesus as our healer in exactly the same way we received him as our savior. Just as the faith of us saved us, the faith of us heals us. Thank you, Father, for touching each person in this place with your healing power, your healing mercy, to receive the healing that Jesus paid for. We love you, Father. We love you so much. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We thank you, Holy Spirit for guiding us into all truth, the reality of healing. Quicken to our hearts, Holy Spirit, the things that we need to see. Open our eyes to the truth and the steps that we need to take. For we know that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Thank you for leading us in our, through our, by faith 
and in our faith, the operation of our faith, to receive and be restored to divine health. In Jesus' precious name. Father, I pray for each and every person that you've given to this church, that you've given to me to pastor. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that is hungry for your word. I pray, Father, that your healing power would manifest in their bodies, that they might receive and walk in that which is already theirs, that which has already been accomplished by the precious blood of Jesus. I ask you to do that, Father. I ask you to do that in response to my faith and their faith. That my joy might be full. That their joy might be full. In Jesus' precious name. I worship you, Lord Jesus. As the head of the church, the chief shepherd, I worship you, Lord. I magnify you for your healing mercy. I thank you for touching each person's body with the power of the Holy Ghost to raise every person up, to restore every person to healing and health. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Say this after me. I believe I received my healing according to the word of God. And I take Jesus as my healer according to his wonderful promises. Amen. 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 Glory to God. I believe we're coming to a day where we'll see quicker answers to prayer. I believe that's part of the last day harvest. I believe it's part of the glory of God being made manifest in the earth. I believe we're coming to a time because the time is short. With the time between you pray, when you pray and when you see the answer will decrease. At least that's what seems to be in my heart. Hallelujah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The quicker he makes his move to come, the, the, the faster the work of the Holy Ghost will be here in the earth. Because there still is a work to do. Amen. The Bible says Jesus has long patience to receive the early and the latter rain that brings about the precious fruit of the earth. Hallelujah. We're coming into a day, folks. I believe the time's already started, really. But we're coming into a day where the glory of God will be seen and known. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. And let's dismiss, before we go, before we dismiss, let's lift our hands and thank God for his goodness. Thank you for your exceeding great and precious promises, Lord. 
thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to work together with you, to abide in you, for your word to abide in us, so that we can ask what we will and see it done. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We magnify you, Lord. We thank you that we're free from sickness. We're free from sin. We're free from poverty and lack. Thank you that we walk in health. We walk in abundance. We walk in the peace of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy to us. Hallelujah. Blessed, blessed, blessed be the name of Jesus.